Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of one of history's greatest preachers and hearing their greatest sermons? Picture yourself on an old wooden pew in Charles Spurgeon's London Church or perched in a tree in the fields of a George Whitfield revival, or striding down the sawdust trail at a Billy Sunday prayer meeting. Whatever the scene, hearing these great sermons from the past will be as fitting to today's Christians as the day they were first preached. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. So, Kelly, welcome back. It'll be fun today. <laughs> uh, one it's of the, always fun. It's always fun. <laughs> one of the reasons, because we were just talking about this before this, this program started. Okay. The sermon we're going to hear today is, uh, I don't want to say wordy. What was the word? What did you say it well, was? Well, first I said dense. Dense. Oh, it, it is. It's, it's thick. It takes a long time to say what he's saying. Yes, but... It's kind of the opposite of what his actual topic is. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, welcome back. It's good to see you. <laughs> and you. Welcome uh, our listeners. Yes. Welcome to the listeners. Remember, you can always catch all of our episodes on our uh, Unshackled app. And you're going to want to because today's uh, presentation, I want to say sermon, I don't quite know if it's a sermon, is a two-parter. Mm-hmm. So after you hear this part, you're going to want to hear part two. And uh, you can always reference our archive of history's greatest sermons through the app. So please go online, download that, put that on your phones, listen to it. Uh, today, we're going to hear from John Engel James. Had you ever heard of John Engel James? No. Okay. I'll give you a brief little bio and some interesting points that, from what little research that I did. He was born in 1785. He did some inconsequential apprenticing, and then he decided to pursue ministry. That seems like a common thread. It really does. They usually work. And then they decide on ministry. I kind of wish more ministers did that today. I'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was ordained as a pastor in 1806. He was about 21 years old. He wasn't very popular, Mm -hmm. but his writings gained attention and some traction. He wrote on very common everyday things. Yes. And some of his writings reached over 500,000 copies in print and multiple languages. In the early 1800s. Yes, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And and he was an an ardent abolitionist. Mm -hmm. And with that, I mean, he's Mm anti-slavery. He was supportive of missionary endeavors in China. Wow. And he started, he initiated an effort to get 100 million Bibles into China. Consequently, they were able to get 2 million Bibles into China. Oh, really interesting. Yes. You're talking a couple hundred years ago. I don't even know what was going on in China 200 years ago. Yeah, but that is that seems early to what we know of. To what as, we know of, yes. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing one thing I thought was interesting as far as his, his biography, this is John Angle James. When they were celebrating the foundation of the Metropolitan Chapel, which is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, he, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said... Especially must I mention the name of that honored father of all the dissenting churches, the Reverend John Engel James of Birmingham. There is no name, I think, just now that ought to be more venerated than his. Oh. Interesting. From Spurgeon himself. From Spurgeon himself. Spurgeon was heavily influenced and blessed and benefited from the, the teachings and the writings and the preaching of John Engel James. That's who we're going to hear from today. So that means that even though we started saying this is dense and thick, yeah. that does not mean it's bad. Right. One no, it's bit. not bad. And it often can be that when we write, we don't write to speak. 
Mm. And so yeah. it is thicker when it's on paper yeah. to be read because it's a different transaction. I was talking with the producer of the show mm-hmm. and I said, do we know if this was a sermon given or is this an excerpt from a writing or a, 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 just some published work? And he said, we're not really quite sure, yeah. uh, which is fine. Uh, one last quick thing. Uh, John Engel James died in October of 1859 in England. And I think he was about 74, 75 years old. Okay. Definitely a full life, mm-hmm. a writer, uh, promoter. I mean, an all around amazing guy, apparently. Yes. Had a huge impact on Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, now, we're going to transition from that into the topic. Yes. Okay. So we are going to talk about where he got that, all of that activism, all of that perspective, because it is the word of God. Yes. And his relationship to God through his word. And he will come to say, as you'll hear today especially, that there is no replacement for that. Mm. And you can tick the boxes and do the do's, but they don't, they don't have the depth of a life that is spent walking with God through his word. Yeah. We need to hear that. Yeah. We should all read the Bible more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just for quantity, no. like hours in a, in no. a day or minutes in a day, hours in a week but actual quality, the absorbing and the applying of it. Yes. And this isn't new. I think it's really interesting that (laughs) he's writing about this 200 plus years ago. Every generation needs to return to the scriptures. That's what came to my mind when I heard this first part of his sermon, every generation needs to return. Let's find out what he has to say about it. And this is John Engel James and his presentation called Reading the Scriptures. The subject of this address is a very common one, for I do not hunt after novelties, but desire to stir up your pure minds in the way of remembrance. Curiosity may be gratified by what is new, but improvement is likely to be promoted by a more devout and practical consideration of what is old. We all know more than we do and we should be more solicitous to reduce to practice what we already know than to acquire still more of mere theory. My object now is to point out to you and enjoin upon you a profitable method of reading the Scriptures. What an inestimable treasure is the sacred volume! Well does it deserve the emphatic title by which it is distinguished from all other works as the Bible, which means the book. Yes, it is indeed the book, the one and only book for man as an immortal creature, a lost sinner. It is a book containing God's thoughts expressed in God's words, or, as the great John Locke said, in a description the comprehension and beauty of which have never been surpassed, it has God for its author, salvation for its object, and truth without any mixture of error for its contents. What a blessing ought it to be accounted that we have this divine revelation in the form of scriptures, that is, writings, and not merely in oral tradition, that the divine communications have been translated from the original languages into our own mother tongue, 
that we are delivered from the tyranny of the Church of Rome, which denies the unrestricted use of the Scriptures to the people, and that they are now cheapened down by various means to be within the reach of the poorest individual. Never was the Bible so low in price as it is now. It is the cheapest of all cheap books in an age distinguished for cheap books. Never was the Bible so much talked about as it is now. Sunday schools have produced readers, and Bible societies have produced purchasers. Ours, by way of eminence above all that have preceded it, may be called, so far as these things go, the Bible Age. From the very nature of things, preaching has some advantages over reading, for not only are difficulties solved, seeming contradictions reconciled, and hidden beauties disclosed, but the combined effect of reasoning and rhetoric, aided by countenance, gesture, and voice, must at once awaken and sustain attention, instruct the judgment, captivate the imagination, impress the heart, and excite the conscience. It is, therefore, of unspeakable importance constantly to hear the word preached. For faith comes by hearing, and the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. But still it is an indolent and injurious relinquishment of our own inestimable privilege and indefeasible right to search the Scriptures for ourselves entirely to substitute hearing for reading, and those people will be found to be the most profitable hearers of the Word who are its most devout and diligent readers. It cannot be denied that much of the religion of the present day is the religion of public meetings and excitement. The closet is a dull scene compared with the place of public resort. The silent page of Scripture, a dull teacher compared with the living voice of the eloquent preacher. And our solitary self, dull company, compared with the trooping multitudes of the great congregation. But still, no one can be an eminent Christian, however frequently, admiringly, or pleasantly he hears his favorite minister, who does not converse much with his Bible in secret. He that would grow in grace and in knowledge must commune daily with prophets and apostles through the medium of their own inspired productions. He must drink largely of the pure living waters and undiluted milk of the word. It will be found to be a weak and sickly piety, unfit to meet the exigencies, to cope with the difficulties, and to maintain the conflicts of the Christian life that depends for its support exclusively upon the hearing of sermons or even the reading of Christian magazines, tracts, and reviews. God's word is the food of the soul, and there is more of concentrated nourishment in a single text of Scripture when it is drawn out by the digestive process of meditation to strengthen the heart of the believer 
than in many pages of uninspired, though otherwise attractive and even instructive composition. God's words are life, and they are spirit. Read the pages of Christian martyrology, and while wondering at the noble heroes that stand before you and admiring their deeds of deathless fame, you will find the secret of their strength in their intimate acquaintance with the Scriptures. They were Bible Christians and not mere sermon Christians. If you were but deeply experienced in the ways of God on the one hand and the devices of Satan on the other, you would easily remember times of conflict and of peril when the perusal of a single chapter or even the pondering upon a single verse without the intervention of a human teacher sounded like the voice of God and seemed like the coming into your soul of the mightiness of his omnipotence. If then you would relish the uncorrupted sweetness of the word, if you would realize all its strength-giving efficacy, if you would grow to the strength and stature of a perfect man in Christ Jesus, if you would be valiant in the fight of faith, you must be much in converse with God alone through the medium of his own blessed word. Is not this precious privilege too much neglected by many of you? Does not the Bible lie upon the table or the shelf for days, yes, even weeks unopened? What excuse have you to offer for so ungrateful a return for this inspired book? Perhaps you say, it is a difficult book to understand. That there are dark and to ordinary readers inexplicable passages, I admit. But how much is there that is clear to the feeblest capacity? And even much that appears dark to one little accustomed to read the word would brighten and unfold its meaning upon a more spiritual, more devoted, and habitual attention. Diligence, prayer, and a holy state of mind will unlock to the inquiring believer most of the hidden treasures of inspiration. Those who complain of the darkness of the scriptures are generally those who have devoted the least time and attention to the study of them. Many uninspired books are difficult to those who only dip into them occasionally, but which to the very same people become easy when studied with care. There is such a thing as becoming, by long examination, familiar with an author's style and manner just as our protracted acquaintance with an individual enables us to understand the drift of his remarks better than we did at our first introduction to him. The aid of a commentary may be of service to those who have leisure to peruse it and the means of purchasing it. Some may now be bought almost as cheap as a Bible without notes used to be. But perhaps you say you have no time. No time to read the Bible. No time to read the book of God, a book written by God to you and for you and of you, the only book which can make you wise to salvation. Have you time to eat and drink and sleep? 
And have you no time to read the scriptures? Have you time to read letters from your friends, and no time to read letters from God? Time to read the newspaper, and not time to read the Bible? Do you not feel ashamed at the idea, especially when actually put into language? You must find time, and if in no other way, by redeeming it from sleep, business, recreation, conversation, and other pursuits, how much time would it take daily to read, even with serious attention, a whole chapter? As to the generality of Christians, how many precious fragments of time might be gathered up from other occupations which are actually wasted to be employed on this high and holy engagement? Probably you wish for some directions for your Bible reading. A delight in reading of the Scriptures is the best guide. He that is in love with a book scarcely needs a rule to assist him in the perusal of it. He will carry it about with him, make himself acquainted with the author's design, take it out when a few minutes' leisure present themselves, store its contents in his memory, think of them often, and apply them as occasions may present themselves. Love to read the Scriptures and you will be sure to read them with profit. A real lover of his Bible cannot be an unprofitable one. But if you still wish assistance, take the following rules. Rule 1. Read intelligently as to the design of the sacred volume. If you do not set out with a clear perception of an author's design, you will be in the dark all the way through. And what is the design of the Bible? As it respects God, it is to reveal himself, not simply in the unity of his essence, but also in the trinity of his personality. It is God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not the creating, but redeeming God, which is the great purpose of revelation. It does reveal, and clearly reveals, God as the Creator. But this is subordinate in purpose and plan to the exhibition of God manifest in the flesh, redeeming a lost world from sin, Satan, death, and hell. Christ as the medium of making God known by the salvation of man is the end of the Bible. Search the Scriptures, said he to the Jews, for they testify of me. John 5.39 Christ is the Alpha and the Omega of Revelation. The ceremonial law was the shadow of which he is the substance. The prophets testified of him. The Old Testament history contains the records of his ancestors. The Psalms of David celebrate his praises. The evangelists wrote the narrative of his life and death. The epistles contain the development of his doctrine, and the apocalypse unfolds his future victories over his foes and the 
splendor of his reign to the end of time. All the lines of revelation center in Christ. In all your studies of the word, keep this in mind, without allegorizing what is plain matter of fact and nothing more, without spiritualizing what has one literal meaning. Still remember that the general design of the Bible is to testify of Christ and to reveal the moral character of God through Him. But a second design of the Bible regards man, which is, through this glorious revelation of God, to restore him to the divine favor and image which he lost by the fall. Redemption through Christ is not simply to save us from hell, but to restore us to God, not only to his love, but to his likeness. Justification by faith in Christ is to the end that we might receive sanctification by the Spirit. Having these, glorification follows as a consequence. Take in this whole design in reading the Scriptures. Be ever looking for the object of faith, which is the death of Christ, for the object of love, which is the image of Christ, and for the object of hope, which is the coming of Christ. Remember that the Scriptures are given to form a particular character, a character which is distinguished by three things— holiness, spirituality, and heavenly-mindedness. You must read to get this character, to maintain it, to perfect it. The Bible is a mold into which mind and heart and actions, fused, shall I say, by the fire of holy love, shall be poured, so as to bring out a character corresponding to what is there revealed. You must read to drink into that spirit, to catch the temper, to imbibe the very tone of the Scripture. It should be a frequent reflection with us, yes, a habitual one, as we take up the Bible to say, This book is intended to form in me a particular character, to fashion my whole self after a prescribed manner. And am I, by reading it and studying it, answering to this end? Have I a Bible character? Is my mind a Bible mind? Is my heart a Bible heart? Is my life a Bible life? As the seal has impressed its own image upon the melted wax, has the Bible impressed its own character on me? Do others see the fruit and effect of my study of the Scriptures in my likeness to the Scriptures? Do I not only read the Bible, but am I one, a living, speaking, acting Bible? These questions are appropriate and momentous and show for what purpose and in what way you are to peruse the sacred volume, not only for consolation in trouble, not merely for directions in particular emergencies, much less merely to 
gratify curiosity in knowing its contents, or to furnish yourselves for theological controversy, but to acquire a holy and heavenly character and life. That was John Engel James, portrayed by Jim McCants. So that's a lot of food for thought. Yeah, and it was dense. Sometimes it was hard for me to follow, but... I wonder if on the app you have the chance to slow the audio down a little bit. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to have to start doing that, especially with these that are so thick and full and meaty. It's so good to hear. They're rich. Yeah. And instead of hearing disparagement, hear that they are rich. They're thought-filled. Yes. So be ready with pauses. If you have a hard copy, go with that as well. Now, he opened with this idea that this whole talk isn't something new. Mm -hmm. It is a remembrance was the word that he used. Yes. And around, we seem to devalue the old. Mm. And that happens in a lot of ways. Antiques are out. Yeah. Uh, yesterday's news. That's so whatever. Yeah. And, and there's a real sense that you have to be young and new and fresh to be important or meaningful. And, and that really is a lie. Mm. Often it's the older thing that has the value, the experience, the knowledge. And we need to look to that as a guide and a guard. Yeah, his quote is, improvement is likely to be promoted by considering what is old. That is countercultural. Yeah. It is not what we do. New, fresh is better. It's in, it's real. And yet that is not necessarily true. In fact, it isn't true. Well, the what came to my mind yeah. was Satan's oldest play is, did God really say that? Did he make us question the word of God? Yes. It's one of his oldest tricks. Are you sure? Yeah, are you sure God said that? So- Of course, the solution would be one of the oldest things, and that would be the word of God. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just be a hearer of the word. You want to be a devout reader of it. And it led him to his point, don't just rely on your pastor to preach the word. You have to read it for yourself. You have to open it. You have to engage like any relationship. If if you don't, you won't ever see God for who he is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it stays knowledge. It stays in the head and has a really hard time trickling down to our heart. And the spirit tends to move within us the more we expose ourselves to his word. And speaking of having his word in us, he gets into the common excuses people give for not reading the Bible. There are many. Um, The first one is that, oh, well, I don't understand it. Mm. And of course, his response is, well, just like uh, a new friend, if you don't understand, just familiarize yourself with it. Spend more time in it. Like instead of seeing that as an excuse, like, well, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't get it. He's saying, well, then that means you should read more of it. Just like you get to know someone for the first time, spend more time with them, and you'll get to know their nuances and their speech and their patterns, habits, and all that stuff. And when we get to know someone, we start easy. Yeah. We don't start hard. Don't go to Leviticus. No, no, no. Scare away a lot of people that (laughs) way. Yeah. New Testament is there. You know, another is just, I, I don't have the time. Right. And the point would be, well, you eat. You sleep, <laughs> you, yeah. do, you, you check up on the news in whatever way that you do. You do a lot of things. So you need to be intentional about this. Ray Comfort's phrase is, what does he say? Uh, no Bible, no breakfast, ah. no read, no feed. He really puts scripture above even eating food, yeah. which is the point that John Engel James makes in this talk. Uh, also, people have so much time. You ever see someone staring at their phone? Yes. Chances are they're not reading the Bible. Mm, Although you can, you can on your phone. There it is for that free. That would be a great one. Right. But check out your settings. There is an app that tracks and you might be happy or appalled at how much time you have spent on that little device. That's true. A That's day true. alone. 
And then he also mentions, well, I, I, maybe I, I would get into the Bible, but I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. I think the word he uses was a guide. I don't have a guide. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because he immediately jumps to, well, clearly you don't love the scriptures enough. Like it's almost offensive to say, well, I need, I need help. And then he says, yeah. but I'll give you some help. <laughs> Here's a guide. <laughs> don't start with Leviticus. No, what... <laughs> right. But the, the, uh, he gives one rule yeah. near the tail end of this particular part. One rule is to read intelligently. And then he explains what that means. He says, you have to know the, the, a sense of the author's design. Mm-hmm. Why was this book written? Yeah. Why did God give us his written word? And that will be like rule number one to know, okay, now that I understand this, that's supposed to lead me through my reading of it. And it's worth mention here that if you think of God as a judge who is waiting to nail you, it's going to be hard to open his word with that perspective and get good from it. Yeah. But if you can even entertain the thought that that might not be so, in fact, God is so loving of you that he can't wait to meet with you. That will change it completely. Now, there is a part two to this talk. And of course, you need to download the Unshackled app if you want to hear uh, this past episodes or a whole archive of uh, episodes. If uh, you're from the future and you've probably already found this out, uh, the Unshackled app is where you can listen to all the episodes of History's Greatest Sermons. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing part two and the more, the additional rules and suggestions that he gives us for reading the scriptures. Good meaty content. This has been History's Greatest Sermons, an unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more unshackled content, you can download our app, get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of history's greatest sermons.